lessons on leaving. We are all vulnerable. The other day, I was listening to the radio and the subject of QAnon came up. In the piece, a cult exit counselor was talking to a staunch QAnon supporter, and the discussion made me uncomfortable because it sounded like therapy. It was as though I was a voyeur sitting in on something that ought to be private while the QAnon supporter became something of a spectacle. And although I think that media coverage of topics like QAnon are important in that they help us understand the very real threat of radicalization, I sometimes struggle with how the coverage is handled. Oftentimes the subject comes across as crazy or is treated like a circus sideshow. And rarely is the coverage nuanced enough to help viewers understand what indoctrination is and how it happens. More often than not, we come away thinking, at least that could never happen to me. So when the docuseries The Vow came out on HBO detailing the rise and downfall of Nixium, I decided to watch in order to help me understand some of my own history. Although my parents joined a different group, the Unification Church, back in the 1970s, I wanted to come away with a better understanding of how intelligent people could get coerced into cultic groups. And one really uncomfortable moment in the series is when uh, Mark Vincente and Bonnie Pierce are in a coffee shop and they're talking to fellow patrons about what they're filming. The exchange is awkward on a number of levels, partly because Mark and Bonnie are still processing their experiences, their recent escape, and how their world is crumbling as a result. But what's perhaps more cringeworthy is when one of the patrons claims that she's the kind of person that would never join a cult. So both Mark and Bonnie try to explain that the methods of indoctrination are nuanced and incremental, but it sort of seems to fall on deaf ears. And this is something that most cult survivors, I think, have experienced at least once. When someone says, I'm not the kind of person that would ever join a cult, the sentiment strikes me as lacking both education and empathy. And you know what? I've been one of those people who's judged survivors despite being one myself. Because I never joined a cult. I grew up in one. So it was easy for me to think that all the first generation members who did join were just weak, broken, naive, etc. And that's just how I processed my anger at the people who tried to keep me in an abusive system. But that perception of cult members does do a disservice, not just to the survivor, but to all of us because it means that we fail to recognize our own susceptibility and, as a result, can be that much more likely to fall victim to systems of control. So, who is susceptible to cult indoctrination? Most of us want to think that we're not susceptible to cults or that we'll be able to recognize cultic behavior from a mile away. And it's easy to think that when so much media focuses on the sensational aspects of cult life or the tragic ends that some faced in groups like the People's Temple which is a, a very insensitive way of looking at cult life in general. So what we see in many of these documentaries on cult life inside the closed system, uh, we're able to contrast with our daily lives and recognize the disconnect. But unfortunately, this portrayal marks the cult member as other and leads to the mistaken belief that cult followers fundamentally differ from those in larger society. So what you see in these documentaries is what happens to a person down the line, right? You don't see the grooming techniques that happen necessarily. You don't see how normal a person might have been when they met the cultic front group. All you see is how they've diverged since then. So the truth is that given the right circumstances, anyone can find themselves subjected to cult dynamics or victimized by a cult. 
In their book, Escaping Utopia, Growing Up in a Cult, Getting Out and Starting Over, experts Dr. Yanya Lalich and Carla McLaren state that the behaviors, social pressures, and controlling structures that create cults actually exist to some degree in every human relationship. Therefore, they say that understanding cults is vital to understanding uh, human groups, human relationships, and the universal human longing. So according to the International Cultic Studies Association, which I will refer to as ICSA going forward, people join cults for many different reasons, and there's also many different ways to enter a cultic group. So ICSA's research has found that about 25% of cult members were recruited by people who were strangers to them at a time, but a majority are recruited through friends or other relational affiliations. So it's going to be somebody you know, somebody that you trust. These days, we also know that people can, can get recruited by algorithms. So cult expert Dr. Steve Hassan has recommended the following documentaries, The Great Hack, The Social Dilemma, and People You May Know to Understand How Modern Day Authoritarian Recruitment Works. According to therapist and cult expert Rachel Bernstein, people are most receptive to joining when they are stressed or in a normal transition. So guys, we're in a pandemic. We're all stressed right now. We're all vulnerable. Just a side note. Bernstein says that people who are recently diagnosed with terminal or chronic illness are living on their own for the first time, experienced the death of a loved one, or had a serious career blunder, tend to be in fragile states, and therefore might join a group they might not otherwise. So again, just highlighting how this means that all of us could face a point in our lives where we're vulnerable even outside of the pandemic. Over the years, I've heard many people claim that only broken people or people with flawed characteristics or personalities join cults. But according to ICSA, there's no specific personality profile of people who become involved in cults. In fact, both the research and clinical work ICSA has done with thousands of former members suggests that those who joined cults were experiencing stress frequently related to normal crises. So romantic breakups, school failure, vocational confusion or transition, such as college graduation prior to their cult conversion. So we see how this is similar to what Bernstein says. So, so social psychologist Alexander Stein author of Terror, Love, and Brainwashing, Attachment in Cults and Totalitarian System, agrees that a person's vulnerabilities are situational, not dispositional. So again, anyone can find themselves vulnerable to manipulation and mind control if they come across a predatory person or group at the wrong time in our lives. Essentially, what makes us human makes us vulnerable. And contrary to the idea that Cults only prey on, quote, broken people. Alexander Stein says that cults don't want dysfunctional or unproductive people. That would be a drain on the cult's resources. They want functional, useful people who will contribute in some way. Dr. Steve Hassan agrees. He says cults don't want people who are, quote, disturbed or unstable because they can be more difficult to control. In fact, he said that groups often target productive, smart people who can work and donate money to the cause. Or in my case, in the case of many second generation unification church members, they labor trafficked across the country for years. So in the words of Deborah Layton, a survivor of Jim Jones's People's Temple cult, she says, nobody joins a cult. You join a self-help group, a religious movement, or a political organization. 
they change so gradually. By the time you realized you're entrapped, and almost everybody does, you can't figure a safe way back out. So again, I just want to like tie that back to how these cults are portrayed in the media. We're seeing where people are at that point of being trapped. We don't see the gradual change. We don't see what it is that they joined. And it makes it that much easier for us to say that is other. That is not me. That's not my situation. I would never get involved in that. So Alexander Stein agrees with Deborah Layton. Um, and it personally, it's something that I've had to digest as I've considered my own parents' involvement in a cultic movement. My parents probably thought they were joining a student project. Nobody told them it was the Unification Church. So for example, people were usually asked to a dinner through a front group, like the Creative Community Project in Berkeley. My mother told me that it was only at the end of a 21-day workshop that anybody even told her about Reverend Moon. And from what I've read, it only takes three days in some of these coercive environments for it to completely change the way that your brain functions. So you can be indoctrinated within a very short space. Imagine being stuck in that environment seven times longer. In other instances, people think that they are joining, again, political groups, business ventures, are getting involved in a romantic relationship. So what I found profound about the series The Vow and also Seduced inside the Nixium cult is that they do try to take viewers on the journey of the grooming indoctrination processes that members experienced so that we can better understand. Again, it's an incremental process. We see how people thought they were joining a self-improvement program and then were lured into the more insular levels over time. It's very similar to sales tactics that are used where they try to get you to say yes to a series of incremental questions, even if it's like, hey, is your name such and such? Yes. Are you having a great day? Yes. You know, and as you continue to say yes, you are being lured into agreeing with more and more. So this, in, in cultic situations, it's just a more extreme version of this. So if a potential convert had been given access to all of the information about the belief systems, structures, and abuses that went into the group up front, they would have never joined. My parents probably would have never joined the Unification Church if they knew, like if they were given all the information up front, if there had been a brochure of this is what your life is going to look like in the group, they probably would have cut and run. But again, it was incremental grooming. Over time, they were cut off from outside influences, manipulated to give up more of their time, agency, and money to the group. We come back to the question of why do people join? Again, remember, <laughs> they've been lied to about what they're getting involved in, so they don't know it's a cult when they join. But people get involved with the initial front group or even the group itself that they don't know much about because they're looking for purpose, a sense of community, or they want to better themselves. According to Alexander Stein, first, a person is lured to a group or person who seemingly shares their interests and concerns. They may be subject to a kind of love bombing, given extreme amounts of attention, which can feel flattering and seem the sign of having found a safe place. Then begins an attempt to isolate the persons from friends and family. The potential recruit becomes engulfed in a new system and out of touch with their old known network. That paves the way for the group to engage in, quote, terror tactics, arousing a sense of threat, whether it's fear of the apocalypse, fear of being criticized, fear of the outside world, or some other group-specific fear. 
I believe attachment theory provides a good theoretical approach for understanding brainwashing, and it holds that people run to a safe haven when they are afraid. If the group has been successful, the recruit, now having had fear instilled by the group, runs to the only safe haven available, the group itself. So let's talk about protecting ourselves. The best way to defend against methods of control is to learn what they are. According to psychologist Steve Eichel, a recognized cult expert and the former president of the ICSA, the first thing to look out for is any kind of pressure to make a quick decision about becoming involved in any kind of intensive activity, organization, or relationship. This reminds me of the WeWork documentary that I just recently watched, actually, as a side note. So one of the participants got a call from a friend and said, are you willing to give up your lease for this really exciting top secret thing? And she couldn't tell him what it was that he was getting involved in. He had to make the commitment before finding out what it was. This is very similar to like the DOS experience for Nixium survivors. They couldn't find out what DOS was until they had like made a commitment, given collateral, and put themselves on the line. So huge red flag. Some other things uh, Eichel says are be wary of any leader who proclaims him or herself as having special powers or special insight, and of course, any divinity. The group is closed, so in other words, although there may be outside followers, there's usually an inner circle that follow the leader without question, and that maintains a tremendous amount of secrecy. The group also uses deceptive means, typically, to recruit new members, and then once recruited will subject its members to an organized program of thought reform, or what most people refer to as brainwashing. So in the Unification Church, my sidebar here is that people were recruited through a front group. They'd come to dinner to find out about like community gardens going on in Berkeley and things like that. They'd be then asked after an evening of lecture to make a snap decision to go usually that night to an isolated camp called Boonville several hours away. And then they were supposed to stay for an extended weekend, which is where the thought reform process happened. And they would probably be continuing to send these people to various workshops until they'd had the quote conversion experience. And then once the person broke, they were sent out on a labor trafficking program called Mobile Fundraising Team, which uh, helped keep the person in, again, in that organized program of thought reform, kept them in the closed system and kept them outside of the influence of friends and family who knew them before. So <laughs> look out for those things. Um, also, according to Eichel, typically cults also exploit their members, mostly financially. Within the group, they'll exploit members financially, psychologically, emotionally, and all too often sexually. And a very important aspect of cults is the idea that if you leave, horrible things will happen to you. People outside of the cults are potential members, so they're not looked upon as negatively as people inside the cult who leave the cult. Usually, like, we had the outside world, right, in the Unification Church, um, and they were considered satanic, but you could still convert them. But somebody who left was, like, of Satan, like, just beyond reach. And so I think that underscores that point there. Why is it important to understand how cults work and our own vulnerability to those systems? 
Again, according to Alexander Stein, people who understand the mechanisms that cult uses can usually see through them, and that bolsters our ability to resist. She says, they are often able to remain detached, to hang on even internally, to some sense of support outside the group and also to a personal identity. They have an awareness of being manipulated, and that can help counteract the process, she said. Another sidebar that I want to draw here is there's a book called The Making of a Mooney by Eileen Barker, and she's a sociologist. She went to um, various Unification Church centers to see how Unification Church members lived and behaved to try to understand the conversion process and the thought reform process. And she's been highly criticized because um, her eventual thesis was the Unification Church does not engage in brainwashing or thought reform, right? And she even said that according to her, she found their tactics to uh, be very unpersuasive. Um, and, and so now she's been criticized as being a cult apologist. The Unification Church has held up her work as being, um, as clearing them basically of having done harm. But if we pin this back to what Stein is saying, uh, Eileen Barker went into these situations understanding how thought reform worked, and so she would have been able to at least be able to see, like, oh, well, they're trying that tactic here. I don't find that very persuasive, versus somebody who didn't understand those tactics, didn't see what was going on, and couldn't protect themselves. And so, therefore, um, somebody like Barker could have gone into some of these unification church situations and been less susceptible. And they also knew, the church knew that she was writing a book too, so they may not have tried to convert her as hard as maybe they would have done uh, in a different situation. But that's just my speculation. Again, understanding our own vulnerability helps us to be more compassionate to survivors and it helps to create for better resources for those healing from cultic environments. Remember, again, cultic behaviors exist in all walks of life. I've seen them in work situations that I've been in. I wouldn't necessarily call the offices that I worked in cults, but I've seen cultic behavior. So people who've suffered from this kind of abuse, again, remember, they're not broken, they're not stupid. And the more that we can shift that narrative away from the focus of, oh, they're broken in some way, the more that we can help others in both their deconstruction and their healing. I wanna end with, if you've been in any high control religion or group, you can share your story with the hashtag, I got out. You can share it on your own platform, or if you need to be anonymous and would like support, there are resources at the I got out website. When you see a survivor share their story, let them know they've been heard. This is such a meaningful part of the movement and we all need to know we're not alone. Also, if you know someone who's been harmed by a high demand group, you can share the I Got Out posts that you think would help them. And together we can bring awareness as to how many of us have been harmed by high control organizations and to end the shame or stigma that we all might feel about our experiences. So you can tell your story you can impact lives and you can change the world.